for my final project, I decided to do a little bit more research on W.E.B. Du Bois, as I was always interested in his work that he did socially, but was never really educated on his background or his culture. So there was something that I kind of wanted to dive into a little bit more. And I thought that other people could ultimately take away um, some things from listening to this podcast. So it was just kind of an intro. Uh, W.E.B. Du Bois was an African-American man. Um, He was most famously known for his writing, um, his books and his writing in newspaper and magazines, as well as teaching. And he altered the way in which African-Americans were viewed as members of American society. And he did that through the use of data. And so he was really the first person of his time uh, to solve social issues using data, something that was really uh, revolutionary for his time. So on February 23rd of 1868, William Edward Burghardt was born in Great Barrington, Massachusetts. And two years after his birth, his father, Alfred, left his mother. And Du Bois became the first person, actually, in his extended family to attend high school at Great Barrington High School. Um, His mother was one of the ones who really pushed him in his educational setting, as she constantly motivated him to be well-versed and smart in education. So she was really somebody who had helped him out um, always since a young age and helped push him towards his eventual famousness due to his education and work. And so after high school, Du Bois attended Fisk University. It was an all-African-American college in Nashville, Tennessee. And interestingly enough, his tuition was paid for by several churches in his hometown. So I couldn't exactly find uh, why those churches decided to pay for his schooling, but that was ultimately something that really interested me. And so at Fisk University, uh, he became employed by the Herald. It was a student magazine, and this was his first job that he had. Um, After graduation, Du Bois began attending Harvard University in 1888, furthering his education. Um, His goal, and he eventually did, uh, receive advanced degrees in history from Harvard University, something that was already groundbreaking uh, as an African-American So it was something really uh, good for him to do at that time, and he served as a role model. And in 1892, he began to pursue a PhD at the University of Berlin, obviously in Germany, Um, and he did so until his funding ran out. But he was fortunate enough to later receive the completion of his PhD from Harvard University while he was teaching at the University of Wilberforce, which is located in Ohio. In 1896, so this I thought this was a little weird. Um, in 1896, he married one of his students from Wilberforce University named Nina Gomer. And so he originally became famous for his doctoral thesis that was um, submitted to Harvard University. And so this was called The Suppression of the African Slave Trade. And it eventually became a book and is actually still used in classrooms today to teach kind of uh, the doings of the slave triangle trade between Europe, Africa, and the United States. So his work was very clearly good enough to remain today. And it was something that got him famous and kind of changed the way that people looked at him. 
And so after his uh, doctoral thesis, he ended up taking a position at Penn University in 1896. And so this was his first big study. Um, he studied the city of Philadelphia's seventh ward, which was well known for being a heavily populated African-American community. Um, was published in 1899 and was of great importance to him as he missed the birth of his first child, who was named after his hometown, Great Barrington. Um, he missed Great Barrington's birth because he was so busy doing this project. And this study is considered to be one of the first examples of statistical work being used in the sociological purpose. He conducted uh, hundreds of door-to-door -door interviews, um, kind of mapping out the seventh ward of Philadelphia, and then also documenting details about the families and uh, what the adults did for work. And so Du Bois ultimately concluded from his study that the African-American community's greatest challenges were poverty, crime, and a lack of education. And then so <clears throat> W.E.B. decided to join the U.S. Labor Bureau of Labor and Statistics in 1897. Um, they assigned him to do work on African-American Southern household families in Farmville, Virginia. And so he was specifically looking at how slavery still affected people. And interestingly enough, all of Du Bois' work for the government was considered radical at the time. Uh, sociology at this point in history was purely theoretical and had not been backed up with actual like statistical data or comparisons or conclusions. So it was something that people looked at WEB as kind of crazy, but it ended up obviously being very impactful work as he continued to follow um, this type of work in terms of race and kind of just motivating, looking to help the African-American community. And so he eventually uh, moved to Atlanta in which he taught sociology at Atlanta University. And he wrote um, his first famous book that introduced the idea of double consciousness. So we've looked into that into the, in this class. And it's in which American African Americans are required to consider not only their view of themselves, but also the view of the world and white people and the view that white people have on them. And so it kind of separated W.E.B. from the rest of uh, the civil rights movement as this double consciousness ended up being very unique and people looked at it in a very uh, high manner. And in 1899, this is actually quite a wild story, um, W.E.B.'s son, Berghardt, contracted diphtheria, which is essentially suffering um, from bacteria. So like if you don't get a vaccine, um, you could suffer from the flu and eventually die. It's the same sort of thing. But uh, Du Bois spent the night looking for three or four doctors. He went to three or four doctors and asked them to treat his son. And all three or four of them were African-American doctors, as no white doctors would treat the child. And so the child obviously eventually died. Um, and W.E.B. wrote the book, or the essay, I'm sorry, The Passing of the Firstborn. And in 1910, um, here's where he goes again to help out the community. He joins the newly formed NAACP, and he was the editor for the magazine, the monthly magazine called The Crisis. He ended up staying at the NAACP for 24 years, in which his magazine and his work became very popular. 
And after a brief second stint at Atlanta, Atlanta University, Du Bois returned back to the NAACP in 1944, and he was actually able to represent the NAACP at a meeting of the United Nations, something that was a very big breakthrough for him personally. And Du Bois became more interested in communism and international issues. He began supporting left-wing groups, uh, which created problems for his leadership in the NAACP, resulting in him leaving the organization in 1948. And so Du Bois was interested in communism. Um, his new wife, Shirley Graham, kind of pushed him towards that. And he was eventually even sympathetic for people like Joseph Stalin, which is quite surprising. Um, in 1961, Du Bois moved to Ghana to become a citizen and, at the request of the president, and he began writing the Encyclopedia Africana. Sadly enough, he was not able to finish his work um, before his death, but on August 27, 1963, Du Bois passed away in Ghana and was given a state funeral. So ultimately, um, I ended up using three sources from strictly historical background and then three that looked at his relevance to education in terms of uh, how he fought for race and equality. And so he was just a very unique guy in terms of the, the things that he adopted and the jobs he worked, which ultimately led him to publishing work for his success. So he made a great impact on not only the African-American community, but also the educational community.